or anyone finds a way to reach those people in an innovative way, like going to, to these truckers and trying to save them and then get them to spread the gospel into the, these remote villages where there's no other way to get it there. Uh, Father, we, we really thank you for all the innovative um, ways that we can reach people now, particularly with the internet and its availability around the world. Uh, and uh, our use of it, as Michael was pointing out uh, a few moments ago, we thank you for all those things and particularly for the, the missionaries in the uh, African area. Father God, we come to you tonight, Lord, and we just lift up the uh, John Schultz family, God. You know, Father, what it is that you've instilled into him as a mission that you've given him to do what he's doing, God. And God, uh, I know that you're faithful, Lord, and God, you'll, you'll do a work, God, provided everything the way it needs to be and line it up the way that you would have it to line up, God. And God, I know we got things going on today with the, the virus, people not uh, doing the things that they used to do and going the places they used to go. God, I know that uh, things are harder to do, and, and I know for this church planet, God, it's got to be hard uh, because it's, uh, it's something to where you start, you start fresh and you start new, and God, you you try and get your hands around a community, Father, where the people are. And, uh, those that are lost and those that that may be uh, just in between churches somewhere, God, that uh, may need to be part and become a, a tool, God, to help uh, lead others to Christ, God, to help show up his Father. And I just pray, God, that you would just surround them, God, that you give them assurance, Lord, that uh, the mission that you gave them, that, that, God, it was that mission and you knew ahead of time that this virus was take place, God, that things will be a little more difficult, God, but you didn't change the mission, God. The circumstances just changed. Father, I just pray, God, that you continue to give them hope and assurance, Father, and you. God, I pray that you would just uh, be with the church, God, uh, and just grow it, Father, exponentially, Father, as only you can do, God. And I uh, pray that you just continue to uh, give peace in John's mind, God, to where he's able to bring the messages and deliver what you would have him to deliver, God, because that's that's all that's required, God, is just to preach the word. And Father, you'll you'll make sure, Father, that their hearts ready, God. We just pray for those hearts. We pray for John and his wife. God, you just work in, in them in a mighty way all around the town of Jacksonville, God, the beaches, the suburbs, uh, Everywhere out there, God, just enable them to reach out where it is that you would have them to reach. We just love you and we thank you and we give you all the praise and all the glory for what you're going to do and what you've already done. For in Jesus' name I pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. Father, just thank you for another evening to be able to meet in your house, Lord, to, to study your word. Father, we thank you for, for the ability to meet in person and also the the ability to meet online that you've given us, Father, for that good. Lord, I pray for those that's, that's lost on our Acts 1 8 list, Father. Lord, soften their hearts, help them be receptive to your gospel, Father, and also.
also give us the boldness to proclaim your word to them. Or give us the, the strength and the, the no fear to do so, Father. Lord, I know especially because sometimes sometimes proclaiming the gospel to your family can be tough. Sometimes they're the most difficult people to reach. So Lord, help that not to be cracked, whether it's by us or by someone else close to us, Father. Lord, we know your word's sufficient, and it'll do your will. Sing our prayer. Yeah, to your point, Josh, I do think it's harder to talk to your family about it than it is strangers. Um, you know, when, you know, we'll go to door to door eventually at some point when people aren't scared to meet us at the door. And I think that's easier than talking to your family about it. Well, a lot of people are scared of talking to strangers, but talking to your family is definitely harder, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's a good word, good prayer. So we're going to, we're starting. Um, new series we're going to go through genesis at least till the end of this year um i might do something else when we start back after christmas for a little bit and then we'll jump into genesis for the rest of the spring um but i feel like i felt like god was leading me to do genesis because <sighs> one thing there's a lot of stuff in the book of genesis that would a lot of stories in the book of genesis that would be kind of hard to talk in front of a mixed crowd of different ages and uh so Thankfully, that's one of the benefits of doing a Wednesday night is that you don't have a mixed age group here. You can talk about those stories. And I also felt like there's a lot of stories that um, are either hard to understand or there's just a lot of questions that people have about them. And so I thought that would be great to do it. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter one. And <clears throat> what I want to do today is I'm actually going to split up the creation account into the first six days except for when humans were created and then it'll be uh, when humans are created through the seventh day so I'm gonna, we're going to look at just one chapters one verses one through 25 the um, just chapter one I feel like is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible because it really gets down to the foundation of everything we do. Uh, philosophers have this idea that they talk about where they say every decision you make, every belief you have, uh, all boils down to some core foundational thing that you just accept, uh, a foundational belief that you can't go down any further. And we would call that to be a worldview. And there's, so there's a lot of worldviews out there. There's um, a lot of people that they have ideas on why the world is the way it is, why people do it the way they do. Um, and usually those, the, the, the issue with some of those ideas and those problems is not those, what they say, but the worldview, the foundation that they have that causes those beliefs. So it's kind of like building a house. If you have the foundation set well, the rest of the house is good. If you don't have the foundation set well, the rest of the house is shaky. And Genesis chapter one is the theological foundation for the entire rest of the Bible. Genesis chapter one is the theological foundation, and two and three included, are the theological foundations for even the gospel. And so 
that's actually why when you read the Bible in both the Old Testament and New Testament, they constantly, especially Jesus in the New Testament, uh, constantly go back to the first three verses, first three chapters, I mean, of Genesis to argue stuff. Because if you can have these three chapters down well, you really have a good grasp of what is called a biblical worldview. The worldview that you can, foundation you can then set up the rest of your house up to. So when you look at Genesis chapter one, um, a lot of what we look at that and we kind of go and say, okay, this is the universe getting created. But here's the thing about Genesis chapter one. It's much more than just telling us how the universe was created. It's actually an introduction to God. Because I want you guys to think about this. This book, Genesis, was written right after um, the Israelites had escaped or been freed from slavery to Egypt by God, <laughs> by Moses. So before that, there wasn't scripture. And then so through Moses, God saves the Israelites from slavery and they get into the wilderness. And so they have this question. They've been saved by this God, Yahweh. So who is this God, Yahweh? And Moses begins to write the first five books of the Bible to tell the Israelites who it is, who is this God that saved them. And if and God could have introduced himself in any way he wanted to. He could have started any way he thought wise. And he chose to introduce himself with the very first words being Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis chapter 1 is way more than just telling us how the universe was created. It's the very basic foundation of who God is. It's like if, if you've ever been to school and they say, hey, tell people three facts about yourself. Y'all know that? This is an icebreaker. Tell three facts about yourself. Tell us your name and three facts about yourself. This is God's three facts about himself. I'm not saying there's only three facts about God, but you get the point. This is the basic things he wants to tell people from the very start. And so way more than this is about creation, it's about who God is. And we should accept the type of God who saved us. Um, before we dive into this, there's numerous ways to that Christians, I'm not talking about, we're not going to talk about what non-Christians have said. There's numerous ways that Christians have viewed this passage. You have the way I believe, which is the traditional belief that chapter one talks about six literal 24 hour days that one literal week of six days that that's what I believe. That's what the traditional Christian history has held to. There are some Christians that think that the days are still 24 hours, but there's a gap that exists that could be thousands or even millions of years between these six days. It's called the gap theory. And of course, you know, that they, people who do that, they're, um, usually have a strong sense of a desire through geology and evolutionary biology and stuff to want to kind of merge those two. Uh, the third idea is called the era or epic theory. And this theory is that there's not six literal days, but six periods of time. And so again, you could interpret that then as being um, millions of years, like each day could be millions of years long. Um, and then there's, really what we would uh, I would say is a liberal theology 
um, not really something you see in Baptist circles, um, that says that the Genesis chapter one is not real at all, but it's just a story that was created to talk about God. And like I said, that one you really don't see in Baptist churches. You, you would see people that might hold to the, the epic theory or the gap theory, or to most Baptists, I would think, even hold to the six-day theory. Um, I want to point that out, though, to you, because um, believing in a six-day, literal six days, is not necessary to be saved. I've had people tell me, I would be a Christian, but I can't believe in six literal days, literal days of creation. Believing in six literal days is not a part of the gospel. We got to be careful when we talk to people about what they need to do to be saved, that we don't add more requirements than the Bible adds on salvation. And the Bible never says you have to know, believe in six literal days to be saved. It says you have to have faith in Jesus Christ, that he's God, God the Son, and he died across on your, for your sins, buried and rose from the grave. And you place your faith in him. Um, so if you ever encounter somebody and they say, you know, I would be a Christian, but I don't believe in six literal days. You'd be like, I got good news for you because <laughs> you can still be a Christian because <laughs> you don't have to believe in six literal days, even though I would say you're wrong. <laughs> um, the reason why, and I'll just, I, the, the arguments for the gap theory and the epic theory usually stem from geology evidence, evolutionary biology evidence, you know, people who are scientifically minded. The argument for the traditional one um, is in the Hebrew text itself. The word for day, yom, Y-O-M, is always used in the Bible for a 24-hour period. And so that's the biggest, uh, and the fact that that's what Christians have believed for a long time until Darwin came up and people started questioning Genesis chapter one. So if Genesis chapter one is not six literal days, then that would be the only place in the Bible that the word yom is used not in a 24 hour period um, or in a 24 or what we call seven day week. Uh, let me stop there. Is there any questions about that? All right. <laughs> um, one of the things that Moses is doing in Genesis chapter one is he's also contrasting Yahweh God to what everybody else believes at the time. And we'll, and we'll look, we'll see that as we go through these verses. And I think that's helpful for us to remember because we would say the same thing about Genesis chapter one. In fact, as we go through these days, we'll see that each day in a way actually confronts something that the people around them believed and corrects it and clarifies and, and tells them the truth about who God is. And I would argue that all those days also in a way, we might not worship a God, but we do rely on that day in some way. And this chapter then can correct our culture's belief in those regards. So I'll point that out as we go along. All right. One more thing, just checking my notes. One more thing before we get into this chapter. 
Um, each day has a very distinct pattern. It's God says something, what he says happens. He, a lot of times, names the things, and then he evaluates it as good. And that pattern in itself tells us a lot. And the reason I'm telling you now is because I'm not going to do this every time we go through the day. Um, for one thing, it tells us that God's word is creative. That God creates by speaking. And that, and again, when we look, think of the Israelites, they just received scripture for the first time. And they've learned that the very words of God they've received in the Ten Commandments are the same words of God that created the universe. And we would add the same word of God who wrote this whole book is the word of God that created the entire universe. And so when we apply, when we realize that God's word has creative power, and then we look at that and apply that to scripture, we realize that scripture then has amazing universe creating power in itself. Um, and that in a way should just give a, like just make us more amazed at what the scripture is. And it's not just some old book of some people's ideas, but it actually has God's creative power as a part of it. We don't have to add to it. And what God says happens. You know, he created stuff, it happened. When he names things, that was something the ancient world did to signify authority or headship. So if you were able to name, and you can think of people that God renamed, like Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. Whenever somebody named somebody or parents, children, that was a way of showing authority or headship over it. So the fact that not only does God create things with his word and they happen, but he then names those things, says that not only is he the creator of everything, but he has headship authority over everything because he actually has the power to name it. Now, there's, a, there's one group that he doesn't name, and it's the animals. And y'all remember who names the animals? Yeah, Adam. It was man. Adam. Adam. So we're we're gonna get to Gen, we're gonna get to verses twenty six and on later, but that'll come into play in those chapters. That that was the one thing that God left us to name, and then um, He evaluates everything as good, which tells us that in God's perfect plan for creation, it was all supposed to be good. That anything bad is a result of us sinning. And whatever God says results in goodness. So when you apply that to scripture, you would say whatever the scripture says, if it gets fulfilled out in our lives, it results in goodness. Because when God says something, he creates something that's good. And so when we apply scripture to our lives, what is he creating that's good? creating us that's good when, we, when he speaks into our lives so with that in mind um, let's go through these days and then I'll, I'll ask some questions here at the end <clears throat> verse 1 and by the way the first few verses we're going to go a little slow and then we'll speed up because there's things I want to point out that get repeated uh, so verse 1 says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the word God in the Hebrew is a plural, Elohim, 
which emphasizes the God's sovereignty. It's what kings used to do. And so the first time you read about God in the Bible, you read about God as having this royal name. That's how he introduces himself as a royalty. And he introduces himself as being in the beginning. So it says in the beginning, God created. And you have two categories. You have God and you have the stuff he created. There's nothing else other than God. It was so there's either God or it's created by God. There's not a third item. Uh, and you'd be surprised how many people think that there is a third item out there, whether it's evil or something like that. Um, and he created the heavens and the earth, which was just a Hebrew way of saying everything. He's not saying only the heavens and the earth. He's saying everything. Verse two, it says the earth was formless and void. This is the NASB I'm reading. Your, your Bibles might say something other than formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So in the Hebrew, there's actually a very clear break between verses 1 and 2, which has led to two ideas on why that break is there. The first idea, which is the one I think, is that verse 1 is a title for the entire of chapter 1, and then verse 2 is actually begins the story. The other idea is that God did some sort of creating and then there was a pause, and then he started creating again. The reason why people believe the second one is because it, they say that between verse 1 and 2 is when Satan attacked God's kingdom and fell. You know, maybe you've had that question, like, when, when does Satan get created? When did the fall of Satan happen? So some people like to read between the lines and say he happened between verses 1 and 2. The reason why I don't like that, <laughs> because I don't like reading into the Bible that much, personally. Like, I like taking things just face value. And uh, so if somebody asked me, like, when did Satan fall from heaven? I would say he probably fell from heaven sometime between uh, day six. I would say there's probably a length of time after day six and when the fall of man happened. And sometime between day six and the actual events of Genesis chapter three is when Satan fell and his demons fell from heaven. Um, that's when I think it happened. Um, but anyways, uh, verse two says that the, the NASB says that it was formless and void, um, which was formless, meaning that like it doesn't have any form, it doesn't have any mass. And then void means it's completely empty. And then what you see in these days is a correction of that. So the first three days is a correction of it being formless. And the next three days is a correction of it being empty or void. It's clearly divided in that way, uh, correcting the formless and correcting the void. And it says God's spirit was hovering over the, the water. And the word hovering is there of, of an animal that has a loving care on it. And then verse three, it says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. In the, and already in verse three, you have a picture of the Trinity. Because in verse 1, you have God, who we could take as God the Father. Verse 2, we have the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And then verse 3, it says God speaks. And we know from the New Testament that the method or the means of that actually happening was Jesus Christ himself. That's in Hebrews, book of Hebrews. So you actually have the Trinity within the first three verses of the Bible. The Trinity shows up. Three verses, three persons right there. <laughs> God's doing a lot. He's doing a lot. And I'm telling you, 
this is not just God creating the universe here. He is telling us about him, and that's why these pages are so packed with stuff. So verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and he separated the, the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. It was evening and morning one day. Um, the, as, we, as you go through the rest of the days, one of the things that he does is there's a lot of stuff that separates. He separates the light from the dark. He separates the waters, the expanse, they, you know, the next day's expanses, pulls the water aside, creates land. And I actually read in one commentary this week, and I never thought about this, but in a, in a culture, the Hebrew culture that is learning about God, they're learning that God is a type of God who has categories, divisions. In other words, when God tells them you're to be separate from the people, we see that God is a type of God that does separate the light from the dark. Just like he told the Israelites, you're supposed to be holy and unholy. He separates the light from the dark. So he's a God of division. He's a God of separation, that matter. And he's a God who creates things in their kind. You know, the animals are all created according to their kind and their division. So I'm not going to read... You know, hopefully you, you've read Genesis chapter one. <laughs> I'm hoping if you've been here on, if you're here on Wednesday night, I'm assuming that you've read Genesis chapter one some point in your life. Let me put it that way. So I'm not going to read the whole thing to you out loud. Um, but I will go through and, and show you how each day confronts their culture. <laughs> so um, in verse six, when he talks about God, it makes the expanse and the water and the heavens and the waters there. The people in the culture thought that the heavens was a place that people lived and God didn't have control over it. And so he's saying, no, God has control over the heavens. And they thought that the waters, the, the Philistines actually thought that the waters was a um, evil God. I wouldn't necessarily say like a Satan because they had multiple evil gods. So they feared the water like it was some deity that could control things. And so here he's, you're learning the waters isn't a deity. God created it. He has authority over it. It says he uh, made the land appear. Um, he had animals draw forth and had them produce seeds. So the people back then thought that as farmers, if you wanted to have your plants grow you had to go to the fertility god whoever that was and do some kind of sacrifice and that's how you had plants grow and again we're seeing no you don't have success growing plants by going to this fertility god you go to the god who created the plants and created fertility in the first place which is yahweh god <laughs> and he goes on and he says of course there's going to be he creates in the the lights in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, they worship those things. So it's like, why would you worship those things if God created them and created the birds and the fish? Again, they worship those things. And he's saying, why would you worship those things when God created them and he named them? So he has authority over. Them. And in the sixth day, he creates the animals. And then we'll talk about humans next. I think this passage, when you start talking about what the culture back then believed and how this is a 
um, a, an attack against that. I think we, our culture actually deifies nature more than we realize. And I mean, the easy one is like um, astrology, you know, people that thinks, you know, they can read the stars and that tells you the future. And that one's probably the closest to what the pagans believe too. So that one's like an obvious connection there. You know, why look at the stars to tell you the future when you could go worship the God who created the stars in the first place. But I think there's other ways about that too. Um, especially now, I think with the coronavirus, people are scared. You know, they, they're, they're, they go, I don't know what's happening. Things feel like they're out of control. People are relying on science to get a vaccine and they're acting like if science doesn't get a vaccine, then we have no hope. I mean, I've heard Christians say that, you know, if we don't get a vaccine, we don't have hope. That's like saying, if I don't worship the ball, we ain't getting a crop today. We don't worship creation. God created creation and he has authority over creation. Even if we don't have vaccine, that doesn't change. So we need to be careful when we look at the natural things of this world, whether it's for the Philistines, the, the crop was like their job. It was their livelihood. So when we start saying, I need that livelihood for my life, I need a vaccine for safety. You know, there's an evil, you know, like an evil politician in, in, in Washington that's messing up everything and everything's going out of control. If that person's in Washington and we're all doomed, that's all the same things they would have said. They just would have changed the name. And this chapter tells us we don't have to be afraid like that because our God didn't just create all that, but he has authority over all that. That's who we worship. Amen. And so um, that's essentially in a very quick talk, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 24. Um, in the next few minutes, I, I want to hear you guys' opinions. Well, first, let's open it up because I want to see, do you all have any questions about Genesis chapter 1? Uh, in general, or in what we just talked about. Well, here's my question to you guys. Um, I know I would, I, I would say I, I applied this text to like our hope, where we find our hope in now and what's going on in our country. Um, but this passage actually talks about a lot more things regarding God and that kind of stuff. Um, what other ways do you see us being able to apply this passage to our lives? And I, I'll go back to help you guys. Let, let's, let me step it back and let's do one more question before that to help you out. Thinking about what we talked about in the last few weeks, the steps of reading a narrative. What does this passage tell us about God? other than the fact that he created everything. I mean, that one's a gimme. I'm not going to let anybody say that one. <laughs> okay, and that was the easy one. That's the T-ball. Now, what are, some, what are maybe some more specific things that it talks about God, things we learn about God in this passage? And you could even say something I've already said if you want, like a cheat sheet. That he's in control. That he's in control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
What else does it tell us about God? Trinity early on. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I've never, I never thought about um, you know, seeing the Trinity in the first three verses or so. Honestly, the first time, just when I read it, um, the first time I realized it was um, uh, chapter, or not chapter, chapter one, I guess verse 26. It says, let us. Yeah, let us. Yeah. 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 He uses the plural again in chapter yeah. three. So we'll just go with what Ben said, because um, I think that's one of the biggest ones. Uh, oh, sorry, Brittany, were you saying something? In the future, he talks about, um, isn't it in, uh, like, let's see, it's verse 14 for signs. And he, he's, he's telling us in advance, like, the sign of the Star of Bethlehem, because he used to the signs, right? He's telling us things in advance. Yeah. Yeah, so... She said in verse 14, it talks about how God created things for signs, the lights in the sky for signs. And so he's telling us that he uses the sky for things for signs like the star of Bethlehem. And like, that's true. Uh, also in that passage, you learn that the world has a natural cycle and that's created by God. So, you know, if you think about you know, what Ben said, that God is not just creator, but he's also in control because he's a creator. Um, how does that change the way we live our lives today? Beyond just having hope, you know, in the chaos. It shouldn't be so worried. Peace, you can depend upon him. Should have hope. You can depend upon him. Yeah. Related to his word, that God's word is what he uses to control things. What is something we can learn from that? And we can change what we do today or believe something new today because of that. Yeah, when we feel like we're losing control, we get into his word and we realize his word uh, comforts us, gives us hope, and gives us peace. Yeah. It's kind of subtle, but everything that's been accomplished so far in is good. Yeah. There, there was no, I mean, there was darkness, but it doesn't say darkness in the past. Mm -hmm. So everything that God did and created and made was good. Mm -hmm. And so by that same thought process, you go through and you say, there is nothing in, I mean, the scripture later on says that, that, that all good things come from God. Yeah. God is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't need to dwell over stuff that's 
we don't we really shouldn't even consider. Yeah. Yeah. Being being the creation process of I've shared with some people my belief that heaven is perfection. God created a perfect place for us to dwell and commune and, and be. And we screwed it up. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who messed up. Yeah. And we don't have that anymore. But it, it will be perfect again. Mm -hmm. And that's what this story tells you mm -hmm. to begin with. Yeah. It was that way. Yeah. It was good. It was good. And was the rest good. of the Bible is telling is God getting back to that. And we are going to get back to that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Everything that God created was good, but it had the potential or free choice, mm -hmm. which gave it the potential to be bad. Yeah. God didn't create. He created, I think he created us to worship him and gave us free choice so that mm -hmm. we didn't have to worship him, but we mm -hmm. had the, the option mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also shows that with the goodness, um, two things, and we'll close with this. Um, one, that when you do things the way God created it to be, then it's good. So when we get away from the way thing God created it to be, that's when you experience bad. And that's, I mean, isn't that the story of sin and the story of the Bible is saying we need to get to what God created us to. Being saved is not a changing of us to something that is um, like unseen before. It's changing us to be who God wanted us to be, who he envisioned us to be, which is good. The second thing is, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this when you talk about what God does is good and everything he does is good. Um, have you ever thought about how bad it would be if the God we worshiped, we weren't also told is good. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Be awful. <laughs> <laughs> Be awful. Imagine if God, the God. God wasn't good. The God, there was a being like God, uh, or we should, I would say God had all the powers he had, but he also wasn't promised to us to be good too. That would be awful. And so, I mean, that just gives us really more joy to worship God that not only he has control, but he's good at the same time. <laughs> because if he wasn't good and had all that control, that would be a very bad place to be. Like Jim said, it would be awful. Um, just a little thought. Uh, I'll, I'll pray for us and we'll close and uh, we'll look at the rest of the creation narrative in two weeks. Um, we won't be here next week. Oh, yeah. Let's pray. Hi. Dear God, thank you for allowing us to come here today and introducing us to you in this way. And um, God, it's awesome to see that just the way that you want to be known as the foundation of who you are, even before we see anything else. And Lord, I pray that 
as we leave, live here today, that we would build our lives on this, this worldview. And we wouldn't build our lives on the American worldview or the things we, we see in our culture. But God, we would build our lives and our foundation from what you've told us about you. And Lord, I pray you help us just not only to believe that for ourselves, but to show that worldview and what we do and how we act to the people around us who are not acting that way and do not see the world like that. God, we love you and thank you for showing us who you are and ultimately for the, the knowledge we know that in Christ, it'll go back to this good state one day for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I got one uh, quick, I got a quick question for you, Mike. Sure. Um, do you ignore uh scientific evidence and scientific thoughts that go against your um, your belief in the six days uh, that's a good question creation or or do you think about them in some way um, justify them or do, do you ignore it or how, how do you get around that I, I justify them I don't ignore them uh, I would be a very bad PhD student if I ignored facts to the opposite of what I <laughs> believed. Um, I justify the, what you would say, the scientific evidence in three ways. Uh, one, I think God created, there's a theory called the perfect age theory, which states that God created the universe at its perfect age. The argument goes that he didn't create Adam and Eve as newborn babies. He created them as adults. And so he created the rest of the world in the same way. And so some of the like carbon dating, the reason why it yields that old is because that comes from the perfect age of when God created the universe. It just happens that a rock's perfect age might be really, really old. Um, the, second, um, the second thing that I count for on some of the evidence is the flood. I think the flood messed up a lot of things uh, and stuff that scientists say happened over millions of years I think actually can be accounted for by uh, layers of sediment building on top of each other through the course of a worldwide flood. And I think if you know anything about carbon dating, it can be messed up really easily. Um, and I think a worldwide flood also could have messed up a lot of the carbon dating evidence too. So that's how I justified that, those two things. So the carbon dating is, is uh, used to date uh, bones or yeah. relics. But uh, the age of the earth is not dated by carbon dating. It's dated by the, the um, rate at which the radioactivity of the rocks has decayed. Yeah. And the, well, I don't want to get into all that. I had one other question real quick. Okay. And you may have answered it okay. when you first uh, started talking. Um, why do you think God put in all of this evidence of a um, that doesn't agree with the six days um, of creation? Why, why all of the other yeah. evidence? Why is why it there? Yeah. So I think there's two answers to that. I think one's a physical ones, a theological, the physical answer is, I think some of the evidence is interpreted from a naturalistic worldview instead of a biblical worldview. And that if you look at it 
if you take away the naturalistic worldview, you can kind of see the evidence a little differently. Theologically, though, which is probably closer to what you want to hear, um, is what you said. I think God gave us the, the ability to have free choice. And um, I think part of why he allowed, you know, things like Darwin and stuff to come up is that he was giving us the chance to decide on fate, whether we uh, now I won't say I do believe in microevolution, so that which is the idea of like species change over time. I don't I wouldn't say we came from primordial soup. That's called ma macroevolution. So when I say Darwin, I'm talking about us coming from primordial mm -hmm. soup. I'm not talking about small changes in species over time. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I think it's just an option of giving us a, a viable chance to decide him by faith over um, some of that stuff. I have, I have a lot of atheistic friends, so I know yeah. how difficult it is to have that faith. As a science person, one of the big things that you have to remember is that all science is created by man. So we have to assume that there's going to be some flaw in it because it's not guaranteed. Yeah. Um, just like when you're dealing with a lot of the dating stuff, like where I work and we're dealing with concentration of chemicals, everything's based on a linear scale. The further you get from that linear, the less accurate your results get. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing when they're dating things. The further away you get, the less chance it's going to be correct. And so there's a lot of myths guidance in some of that stuff in my opinion and, well, and, and there's presented and the most time we're presented with two options it's that or bible yeah. and so if, if people don't want to believe the bible they have to go to that there's not like there's a third choice and that causes part of that too i think yeah. is people don't want to believe the bible and that's the only other option they've got is to jump on board with that yeah so why would something we create all of a sudden be perfect? Yeah, that's true. Tests and stuff. Another thought on the six day versus the is scriptural. Uh, God tells you that his day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. If we don't have the concept of his time, mm -hmm. my ways are not your ways. Mm -hmm. So there's two different, and again, I can't quote you chapter and verse. Yeah. But I, those two verses are uh, the best part answer yeah. to the six, six day. day. Yeah, I agree. The mm -hmm. best part of all of that is that that doesn't affect our salvation. Yes. Those, and Michael pointed that out to begin with. We can have differences in that area and we still it doesn't affect our salvation that's great yep yep, yep. it's just some people somebody's gonna get shocked when they get to heaven that all it's all it affects yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right we'll good see y'all good lesson mike thanks bye <laughs>